0: Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to the Bitcoin Stoa and to episode number five of School of Coin, which is the show where Eddie and I are creating 21 episodes for those who are curious about Bitcoin and wish to begin begin the learning process, which can be a long one. Uh, Current Moscow time is 1657 at 707583, and we are currently recording this episode on October 31st, so I want to wish everyone a wonderful white paper day. Uh, Today marks the 13th anniversary of the very day back in 2008 that Satoshi Nakamoto debuted the Bitcoin white paper on the cryptography mailing list. And uh, this might seem corny, but I think it's justified. Let's just take 21 seconds of quiet to honor Satoshi and the importance of his creation for every human on planet Earth. So I got a little timer. It's set for 21 seconds. When it beeps, we'll keep going. But I think this... um, is an important moment and uh let's let's honor it and send satoshi some good juju so let's go all right Thank you, Satoshi. So as a reminder, uh, the Bitcoin Stoa is a community-funded platform. So if you enjoy listening, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code on the homepage at bitcoinstoa.com. And you can also stream sats using the Breeze app, which has a really badass podcast feature and lets you live stream sats uh, to uh, the Bitcoin Stoa as you're listening, which is super cool. With that said, on today's episode, we are offering some practical guidance on how to start stacking sats. And you know, by now we've covered... Why we care about Bitcoin? We've talked about culture and terminology. We covered the principles, functions, and properties of money. And we answered the question from our perspective: what is Bitcoin? And you know, Bitcoin is a new form of money and it's the best money humanity's ever created. And we're still very early in the adoption trajectory for Bitcoin, which means that Bitcoin is still very inexpensive uh, compared to the eventual monetary energy that it's going to store and consume as people become better informed. So you know, in my opinion, Bitcoin. Uh, the strategy with Bitcoin is not trading it, but accumulating it. And so we put this as episode number five because the earlier you start, uh, the bigger purchasing power head start you gain on the rest of the world, including millionaires, billionaires, corporations, hedge funds, central banks, and even nation states. Although uh, El Salvador beat you to it, so they they got the one head start with everyone. So the mission today is to give you clarity as a listener uh, about how to acquire and safely store your Sats and to confidently create an accumulation strategy that suits you and whatever your needs are. Um, and just kind of as a reminder, sats are the smallest denomination in Bitcoin. So you don't have to buy a full Bitcoin. Each Bitcoin is divisible into 100 million units. And each of these are called satoshis in, um, in reverence for the creator, Satoshi Nakamoto or sats for short. So the first point um, that I think we should dive into is start small and start early. And uh, sort of what are your initial thoughts on that point, Eddie?
1: Yeah, Nick, uh, really good point that you mentioned just as a refresher that uh, Satoshi or a sat is a small denomination of a Bitcoin and you can buy just a fraction of a Bitcoin. Um, A couple of my thoughts just on starting early and starting small is that is exactly that like you can literally buy a dollar. You can literally buy $5 worth of Bitcoin. I put $5. So I think that to me, I was like, okay, maybe if I, if I was going to put a dollar in, I probably would put $5 in yeah, and really, in category. <laughs> it, I mean, you know, it's still, uh, it's still, a, uh, it's still a coffee, um, you know, for, for somebody. So, you know, if you're interested in, 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 you know, learning about Bitcoin, then start small and start now because starting now would be starting early you can watch it perform, you know, you can buy this, this dollar or $5. You can watch it uh, perform in the market and, and uh, just get to know the, the, uh, the, uh, the lay of the land a little bit. But I think, you know, even if, uh, even if you were to just purchase one Satoshi, I think is a, which, you know, is a, is a very tiny, tiny amount. It's fractions of a penny. Um, it's a very big step uh, towards freedom and it's, it's big towards, um, you know, taking responsibility for your finances. And I think, you know, um, a really great example would be, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, you know, and this is very important, too, because the gentleman who purchased two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin, that was that was providing value to him. And he was really probably really stoked that he bought, uh, you know, two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. But would you have ever imagined that that know, that one Bitcoin would be worth this much today. So I would say the same for anybody who's thinking about Satoshi's, you know, would you ever guess that, uh, that a Satoshi has this much opportunity to, to really um, expand, like you said, and, and really store all of that uh, monetary energy that it has the opportunity to.
0: Yeah. Like Saylor talks about how money essentially ends up being half of everything. Um, If it's sound money, if it's, if it's uh, has all the properties of good money, and that means there's a lot of room to grow. And I think back to that same line before, the sooner you start, the bigger head start you get. And the cheaper those sats are going to be. And I don't use it, but I know friends that use something called ShakePay, which I believe is a Canadian company. And if you literally shake your phone each day, you get about 100 sats right now. Um, so maybe that's a good way to start stacking sats with zero risk. I think all you have to do is submit your um, your information to register for ShakePay. You shake your phone every day and you get 100 sats, And that's pretty cool because it's a way to literally start earning... The world's best money just by remembering to shake your phone, which is pretty badass. So I think the value of getting in early and starting stacking some sats is that you you have skin in the game, right? Even if it's a very, very infinitesimally small amount of skin. Um, uh, and so you know, just in terms of practicality, step one is to download a software wallet on your mobile device because in order to, um, I guess. I guess if you're using a custodial service, then you don't necessarily need to create a wallet. But I think from the standpoint of you're going to need to do it anyway, eventually, and we'll talk about why it's good to create your own wallet, but download a software wallet to your mobile device. I really like Moon Wallet these days. It's a non-custodial Bitcoin and Lightning wallet with a super simple interface. And just as kind of a note, we're going to be doing a deep dive on wallets for, the, for next week's episode. You know, We'll talk about hot and cold wallets, hardware software, trade-offs. There's a lot to talk about with wallets and even just starting with like, what the hell is a freaking wallet and why do I need one? So we're going to be talking about that, but start small, you know, maybe buy $10 from an exchange or just, you know, Bitcoiners are very generous um, in terms of if you express curiosity and you find someone who's been in Bitcoin for a while, they'll probably just send you some stats. Um, I like doing that, whether even if it's just like five bucks, it, it it's really... It's really cool to just demo it instead of talking about it, right? Someone can... What, what is this Bitcoin thing? It's like, well, instead of talking about it, I'll just show you. And then you can go on your own learning journey. And just sending someone some sats is, like, is very satisfying <laughs> from my perspective. Um, but one of the things I wanted to talk about in terms of starting early is this sort of chronological nature of wealth built through networks right? And an example I heard of this recently was um, sailor talking about how you can buy shares of Facebook today or whatever the fuck it's called now. Um, But you can likely never own as many as Zuckerberg because he was there first. So there's a chronological element where the sooner um, you enter into a space and acquire units of something, especially if it's a network that's going to grow, the better off you're going to be. And the more your purchasing power you're going to have, and the more wealth you're going to accumulate compared to people who get in later. And The cool thing is we all have the opportunity to get here first when it comes to Bitcoin, right? We all have the opportunity Zuckerberg had by founding Facebook and being there first. We have that opportunity with Bitcoin and the rich people haven't even come yet. Uh, You know, they're going to come later and they're going to pay much more for their sats. And by acquiring the world's best money, they're going to increase the purchasing power of everyone who was there before them, including every human in El Salvador. Like people don't, I think, fully understand, myself included, the impact of what Bukele did um, in terms of putting bitcoin as legal tender. So so yeah, let's let's get into opportunity inversion because that's kind of what it is, right? Getting there first normal people anywhere in the world can front run or get there first uh, the current wealthy elite, you know, the billionaires, the Wall Street firms, the corporations, the central banks. And I think based on the per- current price per bitcoin, the majority of the world's wealth hasn't included in yet. So that's kind of what I meant by opportunity inversion where typically that is the opposite way, right? Like millionaires and billionaires on wall street buy something before everyone else clues in that this is a good thing to buy. Usually applied to equities like at an IPO or an early stage VC doing seed round funding. Everyday people have the opportunity to do seed round funding for the world's best money. Like, what are your thoughts on that? Cause I think it's, you know, there's tons of on-ramps now. Um the reality is is that like the one last thing I'll say is that changing a corporation pension or endowment charter which outlines what they are and are not able to purchase is a really slow process that becomes a massive opportunity like their slowness in adopting and seeing Bitcoin is the opportunity for everyday people what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah I really like that uh, that terminology opportunity inversion um, and uh, just to... Yeah, I mean, like, I, I literally came to the same uh, conclusions as you. And I just really like that definition. Um, I think that, you know, you know, my thoughts are that, you know, anybody, the average Joe, the middle class citizen, I guess, really anybody that doesn't have a, a substantial amount of money, you know, because that's really my idea is that, you know, for the longest time, uh, the the rich, the upper class, or the cantillionaires, which is a term that I um, have learned about and like to use, which is essentially, you know, the the system has been sustaining you know this wealth for so long. But you know, in order to 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 sustain your wealth, you need wealth. Uh, you've needed wealth, you know, for the longest the longest time. And uh, Nick, you made a really good point that we're so early there, there is so much institutional money that is like eager and like hot and ready to pounce onto Bitcoin. But uh, l- let's just say, you know, as far as a corporation or, or a business, you know, it's much harder for them to, to purchase and, 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 uh, and hold Bitcoin. So they're, they're going to have to wait until
0: the price is, is a lot higher. And uh, so I would argue that many of them have already started, but like, if you look at, okay, since the first time that someone at Apple hears about Bitcoin, it starts to meander through the channels of executives. Eventually, it gets to the board. The board meets quarterly, let's say. Um, they have the, Their first time they mention it, it's like, all right, well, we got to start looking into this. They take three months, their accountants and their lawyers, their, their squad of uh, executives looks into <laughs> this. And they say, oh, this is kind of interesting. Next board meeting, let's look at what we have to do to review our charter. And like, before you know it, there's like, nine months, 12 months, 18 months goes by until they're actually able to start doing this. And I I think that at the start of 2021, MicroStrategy did this kind of uh, Bitcoin for corporations thing. And there was a shitload of people that showed up uh, either online or in person. I don't think they actually did it in person. I think it was just online. But regardless, there was a lot of executives from different companies massive companies that showed up to this. And I think it's only a matter of time before they start to execute on what they clearly had interest in doing. And I mean, I just trust that companies are rational, logical, financially incentivized, and most of the time greedy. (laughs) And like all four of those things point to them buying Bitcoin. Um, There's a hundred trillion dollars in broken assets called bonds that make zero sense anymore. And like, it's not going to be long before those people realize shit, this makes zero sense. Um, What's the best thing to put this money in? And like, Bitcoin is the answer you get to. Um, And that's a hundred trillion dollars. So that means that if all that bond money from broken instruments goes into Bitcoin, the price goes up 100X. That's only one subset of broken assets that no longer make sense. So we are early. There's a massive opportunity for everyday people. And I love what you said there, where it's like, you used to have to have you used to have to need a lot of wealth in order to gain a lot of wealth. But now the person who works at a grocery store and can spare $5 a week can start to build their wealth. The person who works at a factory, the person who works um, at a restaurant, the waitress who works at a restaurant, like Bitcoin is for everyone. Everyone has access to it. You don't need anyone's permission. And the way you start accumulating wealth is, is accumulating sats. And I love the term stacking sats because it really is a powerful, um, a powerful set of words because everyone has the opportunity right now. So.
1: Yeah, I think that was a really good, uh, a really good, like, um, wrap up. I, I really like the way that you kind of explained it there, Nick. And and it kind of just brings, uh, it kind of brings me like when you had mentioned, uh, you know, just like a, a grocery clerk, cause I, I used to work at a grocery store for a little while and, uh, I'm like, well, how am I, how would I start saving, you know, for, for Bitcoin and, and, uh, so it's like, it makes me think, you know, how could a, how could a grocery clerk save for Bitcoin, but really, you know, you can just put a little bit of money aside every month, you know, it's like, it's kind of like a savings plan, you know, which kind of brings us to our next point really is that, you know, it's really important to create a savings plan or actually think about, um, you know, how, how you're going to, uh, you know, quote unquote, attack, um, you know, putting your money uh, into Bitcoin and, a couple of thoughts that I that I personally had is like for me when I'm when I'm saving money um, every month is like how much do I like to save every month? How much can I realistically put away for the long term? And when I say long term, I'm thinking, you know, maybe maybe I was a little bit different in thinking about this a year ago, but now when I think long term, I'm thinking four to ten years or more. Um, you know, as far as me taking this money that I'm saving and I'm, and I'm not going to touch it at all. I'm not even going to think about it. And that's typically how I like to, how I like to save my money. But, um, you know, in, in terms of putting it into Bitcoin, but what are your thoughts on creating a savings plan uh, in Bitcoin, Nick?
0: Yeah, I think the planning part's really important because, you know, maybe a good place to start is even just the definition of saving. Um, and I think we've conflated investing with saving. And investing requires you to take risk, right? People think that in order to preserve my money, I need to invest because otherwise it just melts and disappears because money is being created constantly more now than ever. But I really like the, the two parts of a definition of savings or saving that I like to adopt is number one, the preservation of your wealth from danger or destruction. So I think saving means putting it somewhere safe. So it can't be stolen, putting it somewhere um, that preserves it from being destroyed, which is really put it in something outside of national currencies that are constantly, um, essentially having their, their purchasing power diluted and eroded, right? Taking your wealth that you've accumulated by giving your time, you want to protect that time. And it's not protected by being in your national currency, your U S dollars, Canadian dollars. Um, and then the other kind of half of the definition is excess income over expenditures. So if you earn $3,000 a month and your expenditures are $2,000 a month, you have a thousand in excess income. And obviously that doesn't necessarily all get saved. Um, everyone's going to have a preference for how much of that they save. But I think the the real thing here is like knowing that everyone has access to the world's best money to begin saving for the future Um you know, like delaying some sort of thing that you get today, like the coffee I I could get today and have a little bump of caffeine um, could also be $5 put into Bitcoin so that in 10 years it has one, it ha- it's worth $500 of purchasing power. And I think that that trade-off forces people to become much more financially responsible But it. It's like, maybe I won't buy that coffee every other day because that ends up being a really expensive coffee in the long-term And now that I know I can literally buy Bitcoin with it in one click, maybe that's a better option. Maybe half those coffees go into Bitcoin. Who knows? Um, But I think saving preservation from danger or destruction of your wealth and the excess of income over expenditures. um, Many people have little to no savings right now, especially like the stat I see all the time is, is based on the United States, I believe. And I get it because when money disappears, the minute it goes into your bank account, you want to spend it. And, you know, I heard this thing a while back where China was thinking of putting a time limit on their money. So if you don't spend this money within a certain period of time, it disappears. Mm -hmm. And I remember the people on the podcast, I think it was uh, Parker Lewis and Peter McCormick were like, that is the most ridiculous thing, ridiculous thing ever. It's crazy. And in my head, I'm like, that's already happening. It's just not like as abrupt, right? Like the longer you hold dollar, the less it becomes worse. So it kind of does have a best buy date every month. It's going through phases of rotting away. (laughs) And I think the beauty of Me sats is that you can start saving with a plan that costs as much of us as a Starbucks coffee every week um, and gives you access to the world's best money. It's like pretty magical. So I think the best thing to, to create a savings plan is just pick a small amount and pick a certain frequency and start building a plan that it basically puts your savings on autopilot, right? That's the best thing about a plan is you don't have to constantly remember to do it. You put it on autopilot, you set it up, And then you can tweak the numbers over time. But that kind of brings us to our next point, which is the DCA, uh, which stands for dollar cost averaging. And I think this is a really, it's being offered by many more services and exchanges, um, especially the Bitcoin uh, only ones, which are really the better ones. If we're, you know, we're not talking about crypto here, we're talking about Bitcoin. Um, And dollar cost averaging is essentially an investment strategy where you invest equal amounts. Of money spaced out over time intervals, regardless of price, and it essentially gives you uh, security against price volatility. And I think, in my opinion, it's the most powerful way to accumulate Bitcoin because it's automated. Um, and you know, when you're whenever you're acquiring units of something, the goal is to when the price is high, you buy less units. When the price is low, you buy more units. Right? Like ideally we could all do that by guessing the market and knowing when it's high and buying less and knowing when it's low and buy more doing a D setting up a DCA plan essentially automates that and does it perfectly where if you put in $10 every week, when the price is high, you're getting less units. When the price is low, you're getting more units. And um, you know, I have friends who do like five bucks a day and that's pretty damn cool. You can literally have it automatically take money from your bank account in a small amount and buy Bitcoin or buy Sats every single day. And I personally do a weekly, um, DCA and we'll kind of modify the amounts based on trends. So I'll decrease the, the weekly amounts, um, during bull runs, and then I'll increase the amount during dips. But what about you? Are you, uh, do you have a DCA going right now? And sort of, how do you, um, view that? Is it, what's the frequency?
1: Yeah, I don't personally have a DCA that is, uh, Jessica, my wife, uh, is, uh, that's her deal. Uh, nice. currently. And, uh, I, yeah, I, I, wrote just a couple notes down, um, you know, cause I don't mind sharing as far as, um, our plan, um, and just like my own personal experiences from it, because like I personally, um, most of my experiences, I guess with, uh, spot buying Bitcoin through cash app. And, uh, so that would be like, you know, you could spot by $5. You could spot by 500 bucks if you wanted to, um, or quite a bit more than that. Um, But to get back to the point of DCA, um, my wife and I or my wife uses Swan Bitcoin, and um, that is like one company that you did mention. It's a Bitcoin only company. And I think that um, as far as like minimizing noise, it would it would be in it is in my best interest to um, work with uh, and be a customer of companies that are Bitcoin only. Um, but as far as putting money aside, it's it's really great because, uh, like you said, Nick, you can choose like a daily or a weekly amount, um, and you have the ability to um, automatically adjust those um, allotments that you're putting in, and then you also have the ability to automatically take um, that Bitcoin and then move it to a um, cold storage wallet of your choice. Um, and as far as the um, like customer you know, experience. I think like being able to dollar cost average um, spot buying, like spot buying Bitcoin is a, is like an anxiety inducing thing. Very and emotional. Uh, it's emotional. Yeah. We talked yeah. about this in previous episodes. It's a highly emotional thing.
0: And um, as Maybe far as spot buying for people who don't know, just in case.
1: Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm still learning about spot buying, but really it's like, you're, you're looking at the price and uh, you're going to just buy it. Right then and there, you're essentially making that purchase and you're going to engage that purchase at that price at that specific price. Now, um, comparing that to dollar cost averaging dollar cost averaging is going to be, you know, regardless of the price you're going to be purchasing Bitcoin at regular intervals. And the cool thing about this is that you don't have to think about it. You're not looking at the price. You have a savings plan. You have a certain amount of money, um, like my wife and I do, or she does, um, that she's putting away uh, weekly into Bitcoin. And then it gets to uh, be automatically moved to a cold storage wallet. So it's like really, honestly, I think personally, it's the most seamless and most awesome way to, uh, to accumulate Bitcoin. Um, also because really like, uh, like you said, Nick, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not an investment. And I think I even probably, I mean, I definitely used that term before, you know, yep. investing in Same. Bitcoin, but, um, you know, as far as like onboarding yourself or your wealth to Bitcoin, um, you know, you're not making, you know, you're not, you're not supposed to be taking risks. You're supposed to be onboarding and saving and so I think that that term is, is really great because, um, you know, Bitcoin is savings uh, and it is not an investment. Uh, this is not financial advice. But as far as buying Bitcoin, dollar cost averaging is, is I think, personally, um, you know, the, the most um, peaceful way and the, the most, um, uh, you know, targeted way to buy Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. You know what? DCA, Bitcoin, this is financial advice. Fuck it. You know, I think anyone <laughs> listening to this is not going to hold it against us. Obviously, sh- you should always do your own research, right? You should understand yeah. Bitcoin before you put a, a sizable amount of your wealth into it. But lately, I've been hearing a lot of people on, at Bitcoin events or on podcasts saying this is financial <laughs> advice. <laughs> it's like that whole thing is kind of silly. Um, yeah, I think, I think with DCA, it removes the emotional and psychological component when you're on like a price roller coaster, because I think they're getting the ups and downs in Bitcoin are getting less, uh, they're getting smaller in their amplitude and their frequency, but they still exist and they will still exist. This is what happens when you see a good monetize in real time, like it's going to be a wild ride. Um, And so I think DCAing automates it so that it shelters you a little bit from that, although you're probably still going to check the price and that's okay, but it's not going to affect your buying habits unless you're smash or spot buying. Uh, And remember, you can, I think the thing I try and nail like really hammer with people when they have questions about it is like it's you can always feel good about trading an inferior form of money for a superior form of money. Even if you happen to buy at a time where that superior form of money was a bit more expensive than it usually is, it's still a superior form of money. You're still trading in a shittier asset for a better one. And so you can always feel good about that. And that's I think what allows people to sleep well at night when they're DCAing because they know that they're doing the right thing. Um and you it's so cool these days because all of these platforms And next, we're going to talk about where to buy. But I want to ask you a question before we get into that, Eddie. Um, A lot of these platforms are building really intuitive, beautiful DCA um, interfaces. And I think it's, you literally can customize your own stream of monetary energy that gets directed into Bitcoin to stack sets. And that's like the fact that that's been democratized on multiple platforms and people have so many on ramps now is, I think, going to contribute to this momentum that we have going where Bitcoin is getting older, getting more refined, um, having the bugs worked out, constantly adapting and evolving to the threats it receives. And I think the fact that there's so many crisp, beautiful on-ramps and so many people working on this is really special. Um, Next, we're going to talk about where to buy because I think there's some things that people need to know in terms of like custodial, non-custodial, doing their homework as to where they buy from to make sure they can. Because like you said, taking your coins out, putting in your own hardware wallet is the ideal, but you you got to do your homework to make sure that the exchange you're buying with actually enables that. So I want to talk about that a little bit. But before that, I want to talk about, I just have a question. Like you and Jessica are both on the same page about Bitcoin. Was this something uh, that was there from the get-go? Like, did you evolve your knowledge together? Did one of you teach the other? Um, because I would imagine there's there can sometimes in relationships be an asymmetry in terms of one person understands and one person do- does not And that can probably create some friction, right? Like if you're putting all your money into stacking stats, the other person's like, what the hell are you doing with our money? It's, it could create a problem. Um, so like, have you and Jessica sort of learned about Bitcoin together or did you come into a relationship understanding it? Like, give me a, I'd love to hear about a, a bit about it if you're willing to share.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a fun thing that I probably don't talk to um enough people about because I think that that is one point um you know like when when we were both at the bitcoin conference people were like you guys need to like talk to more people because like you're, you're like a bitcoin couple you know and I was like oh yeah that's <laughs> yes, like a thing that's you know? awesome but um yeah you know <clears throat> um I would say like you know we we both uh came to uh hold or hodl bitcoin at the same time and uh I think I had mentioned that in my story, you know, it was just a uh, it was uh, it was really a kind of a coincidental way to to end up um hodling bitcoin and um you know, we hung on to it because it was after the 2017 uh, bull run and and so you know, we we had initial um like similar mentalities like okay, like we don't know what this is and uh it's been a lot more expensive than it is now. Um and that's all we really know. And uh you know, during my, during our learning journey, I would say that we kind of always were like, you know, maybe one of us would read something and then we'd talk about it, you know, and then one of us would learn about something else. And maybe a few weeks later, we'd eventually like talk about it and come on the same, same wavelength. And, yeah. uh, I think it's, it's funny thing, you know, because that was, it's an interesting, um, uh, thing, especially about hodling, you know, I mean, for me, um, that was a really important thing to, to, to find um you know agreements on and uh you know uh depending on who you're talking to you know they could really have a different mindset about that but um yeah i guess that's a little bit of my story i mean i I guess i'm pretty grateful uh to to have a a a relationship that um is peaceful about
0: bitcoin and (laughs) nice shout out to jessica for being an awesome bitcoin partner um yeah i think that's really cool and i i think this whole note like we do this in the um the foot collective with the footner program and this whole notion of distributed learning like there's 170 of us in a network we're all trying to understand health if we all take a piece and learn it independently and then teach it to the network then instead of having to do like 200 hours or 170 hours to learn about a set of topics you can do one hour and share with everyone if everyone does that you've essentially done 170 hours of learning and extracting wisdom without having to actually spend that time so i think this whole notion of being in a being in a relationship with someone you love trust and who also believes in Bitcoin allows you to kind of say, all right, well, I'm going to learn about this and then I'll talk to you about it so that you don't have to spend all the time learning about it. And we'll just make sure that we share our information. I think that's, that's really badass. Um, Yeah. And uh, I think, I wonder how many Bitcoin couples are out there crushing it and just um, Mm -hmm. reclaiming their time. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about where to buy because we've talked about a bunch of things, you know, we talked about DCA creating savings plan. And I think the next step is like, okay, unless you're getting Bitcoin from a friend, um, you need to buy from somewhere and there's more and more ways to buy bitcoin every day and there's almost always a trade-off um, between convenience and security and privacy when you buy bitcoin right and you know the easiest place to purchase it is on an exchange and you know there's there's various models some exchanges from my knowledge build their fees into the spread they offer and the spread is the difference between the price that they sell you bitcoin at and the price that they're going to buy bitcoin from you at although you should probably never sell your Bitcoin. So it's not as relevant. Um, other exchanges will charge you a percent fee on top of the current spot price. And so I think there's some factors to consider. Number one is the reputation of the exchange you're intending to use. So do some research, look into them. Have they, is there people talking about them? Do they have a lot of customers? Are there good reviews? I think that's important. Um, do they have the option to create a DCA plan? Because we just talked about the powerful, the power of dollar cost averaging. See if they have an offer a DCA option. Really important one is do they offer the option to withdraw your coins to your own wallet, to a wallet you control? That is very important. That's probably hierarchically the most important one, uh, second to the reputation of the exchange. Um, and then another factor might be KYC requirements. And we'll talk about what KYC means a little bit later, but essentially how much information do they are they forced to request of you, usually by their government, uh, of wherever they operate, in order for you to purchase um, coins from them. And so, you know, small amounts can be trusted to be held with a custodial exchange where they're actually holding the Bitcoin for you. Uh, But the eventual goal should be to hold your own keys and remove your sats from the exchange. So I think that's an important end goal to kind of keep in mind. Uh, I personally use a non-custodial exchange where essentially when I buy sats, they go straight to my own multi-sig hardware wallet uh, for which I control the keys. It's called CanadianBitcoins.com. They have a bigger spread than I think some maybe most cases, but I know the team I have, I've always had a good experience and they also offer DCA options. So, you know, paying a little bit more every time I buy is not a big deal considering all the benefits I get. Uh, I do plan to use strike when they come to Canada. They're not here yet. Um, they charge virtually zero purchase fees and the app is created by Bitcoiner. So I'm sure taking ownership of your coins is simple with them. Um, you mentioned Swan Bitcoin and that's another platform. I've heard a lot of really good things about I don't use them personally. I signed up, but being in Canada, it's still a little bit tricky compared to being in the United States. Um, but tons of people I trust uh, use them and have said great things. And we actually created a Swan Force account for the STOA. So essentially, if you are li- if you live in the United States, which is, I believe, where Swan Bitcoin is based out of, um, and you go to swanbitcoin.com slash Bitcoin STOA, just by signing up, you'll get 10 bucks of free Bitcoin. And that does give us some sort of back-end benefit. But I think the real reason we want to recommend them is SwanBitcoin is by Bitcoiners. It's Bitcoin only. Um, they have a badass team of heavy, heavy hitters in the world of content creation, like um, Tomer Strohleit, um, Stefan Levera, you know, uh, Jans Pritzker, who wrote, um, in, I think it's called Inventing, Inventing Bitcoin. Bitcoin. They just have a, a badass crew. And I, I trust that they are good stewards of that. So swanbitcoin.com slash Bitcoin Stoa. Gives you ten bucks of free Bitcoin, but I think that those, you know, whether it's Strike or Swan or Canadian Bitcoins uh, in Canada or Bull Bitcoin, I haven't used them yet, but I've heard great things. I think you're basically about to get in a relationship with someone, so treat this like dating. Like before you date someone, you do your homework, right? Like is this a nice person? Um, You know, like what what is this person like? What do they value? And I think doing your homework on which exchange you're gonna make a commitment with, right? That you're going to get married to if you're setting up a dca plan if you're setting up like your primary on-ramp into stacking sats you should make sure that it's that it's the right one and so do your homework please those are some good suggestions but uh do your homework anything to say about where to buy before we move on to holding your own keys
1: yeah uh just uh just a few points um i would first say. <clears throat> Yeah, just shout out to Swan Bitcoin and Brady Swenson, who's the head of education over there, because like any company who's going to be like freely sharing um, really like really mind-blowing uh, uh, information and knowledge uh, with everybody is like obviously um, embodying the the values of Bitcoin. Um, and honestly, the only note that I had on the where to buy section of this is like literally make sure you are buying the underlying asset of bitcoin and so that just like brings me to like you know it's like there are so many different platforms these days and um you know think about like what think about why you're buying bitcoin are you trying to buy bitcoin just to make some more fiat or are you trying to buy the world's best money and you know um there are certain company, there are certain exchanges, like, like you said, Nick, that you literally can't
0: uh, withdraw the Bitcoin. And uh, that That should not even be like, no one should buy from them. I see why people who are just trading (laughs) it would find that convenient, but like stay away from those because it just doesn't align with the ethos of taking possession of your own wealth. And that's, uh, that's a really important element.
1: Yeah. And the the last thing that I'll say is, is uh, just to like, to really like hammer it home on what Nick said is like, do your homework and, and figure out like who you're dating because, you know, do you want to be, uh, you know, it's like you've got a Bitcoin only company or you've got another uh, exchange that's got like, oh, we've got the new uh, Shiba Inu coin. You know, it's like, oh, you know, uh, it's here finally. And it's like, well, you know, it's like, oh, okay. Or and yes. then the new oh, thing. Exactly. So, you know, really, really think about like the information that you're getting and think about um you know, the, the organization as a whole, like you said, Nick, you know, sometimes the spread is really um, is not as important if you're really going to be supporting a really solid group of people that you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so those are my thoughts on where to buy just buy the underlying asset.
0: Yeah. And, and um, form a relationship with the team you believe in. And I think the, I think the cool thing about this community is like Bitcoiners support Bitcoiners because this is what this whole whole family is about, right? This is, There's one mission, there's one team, um, support people that are on your team. Coinbase isn't on team Bitcoin. They're on team I want to make more fiat, and they'll usually use any means necessary to do that, which is doesn't align with Bitcoin. Um, you know, Jack Maillard's had a great rant about basically just crushing any exchange that's charging uh, fees, and he just said, you know what? It's a race to the bottom. We're not going to charge fees, or if we do, it's going to be infinitesimally small. And so, you know, not only is buying through Strike um, less expensive. It's a better experience with a better group who is aligned with Bitcoin. You're buying from Bitcoiners. And I think that's a really uh, good ethos to kind of keep in mind. Um, Let's talk about holding your own keys. And we're going to do just as kind of a note, we're going to do an entire episode about self-custody best practices, because what we're going to say now is really not going to do it justice. And there's a lot to know, but I think it's important for people to know there's a saying in Bitcoin. uh, I think it was coined by Antonopoulos. I'm not a harm censure on that, but it says not your keys, not your coins. And, you know, the reality is that Bitcoin is a lot more like holding cash than like holding money in your bank account. Um, and you know that old saying, possession is 9 tenths of the law. With Bitcoin, it's 10 tenths of the law. It's all that matters. Uh, you know, if your bank account gets hacked or your visa gets compromised, it gets fixed by the bank. If cash gets stolen from your wallet, you can't get that back without finding the person who stole it. And so I think you need to really view Bitcoin like cash It's a bearer instrument, which means the person who holds the keys, which is how you, I mean, essentially you hold Bitcoin by holding keys. Um, You don't actually hold the coins themselves. Um, The person who holds the keys is presumed to be the owner. So if you leave your coins on a custodial exchange, that exchange owns the coins. You do not own them. You need to ask permission to access them, um, which is a security risk. And obviously that's... not ideal for large amounts. And so, like I said, episode nine is going to be entirely about self custody, best practices. So look up for that. And I think the cool thing about holding your keys is that baked into Bitcoin is this notion that you must take responsibility. You must take responsibility for learning and understanding um, what Bitcoin is, but you must also take responsibility for being the custodian, the primary custodian for your wealth. And like like I said before, trade-off between convenience and security and privacy it's more convenient to just let an exchange hold your coins for you and trust that they're gonna do a good job at securing them. Um, They're not gonna get hacked. They're not gonna steal your coins. They're not gonna let the government steal your coins. Um, But I think it's very important to note that the end goal and the, the spectrum that we should all be working towards is to take full responsibility and ownership for our coins. And encryption is really what allows us as individuals to protect our property, right? It makes it very easy in relative terms, to defend our property and very difficult to attack it. And this is really powerful for freedom. Um, and And it just removes the power from those who currently hold a lot of power, usually unjustly, and who abuse it regularly. And that is like governments who are afraid that they're going to lose control of being able to tax us or steal our money. So I think holding your own keys, very important. What has your experience been like, Eddie, from start, like when you first got into Bitcoin until now? How has your perspective changed uh, in terms of holding your coins, how has your confidence changed in, in holding your own keys rather? Because I think it can be intimidating. Uh, although if you start small, it's not as intimidating. If you lose 20 bucks, it's not a big deal. You can play around. As the percentage of your wealth increases, it becomes more intimidating. Therefore, you need to take more ownership for building a good strategy and being confident. But how has your um, experience been so far in terms of key management?
1: Yeah, when uh, when I, you know, when I first had Bitcoin, it was on Coinbase, which I feel like was probably the only, you know, one of the only famous platforms out there. But mm-hmm. yeah, had it on the exchange, didn't think about it. You know, why would I think about it? There's no, it's like, it's just Bitcoin going to go yeah. up again, maybe. It's like um, a stock held yeah. by a stock.
0: Um... It, holder or like an intermediary it's same mental model initially exactly
1: why would I pay some money to buy another thing to put it put it on there when it's already on here yeah. um, but then uh, yeah I started uh, learning a bit like I just had more interest in Bitcoin you know I had more interest in my financial well-being I had more interest in my overall health well-being and then I started learning a lot more about Bitcoin it's funny how I was learning about that you know when I was thinking about health and overall well-being but you know, I started learning about more about Bitcoin and finance and then, you know, through my journey, I started hearing people, um, different, different, uh, you know, thought leaders in the space, uh, all say, you know, kind of, like you said, um, I, I do believe that it is, um, Antonopoulos who says, hold, you know, not your keys, not your coins, but there's a lot of other sayings like that, you know, that go around. And it's like, you know, one of them to me was like, I heard more than two or three people, you know, it's like. That we're saying, get your keys or get your Bitcoin off of an exchange, and then it's like a week later, get your Bitcoin off of an exchange, and I'm like, okay, get your Bitcoin off of an exchange, and then I'm like, oh, okay, points. now I'm gonna now I'm gonna think about it. Yeah. And like, hey, hey, uh, hey, should we do this? You know, sh- let me learn about this more. And then I started, you know, learning about it, and and I guess the only you know thing that I would say is like, um, you know, as far as uh, as as you know holding your own keys, um, it is a big responsibility like you said, Nick, and uh, I do get nervous about it sometimes. Um, but it is learning process. And the more that you the more that I um, engage with it, and the more that I do um, learning with it and purposeful learning with it, um, it makes me more comfortable, and I feel more confident. And, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's, a uh, don't know, why I keep thinking about this analogy, but I'll think about it now, because, uh, or I'll say it now, but You know, like holding your own keys, it's, it's, it's like, it's such a, when you realize the importance and the responsibility of that, it's like, um, you know, a few weeks ago I was at my best friend's wedding. Um, His, his wife's dad is a fighter pilot. And he's telling me about, you know, breath control and being able to hold, you know, basically have the responsibility to keep yourself from staying awake while you're in a plane. And I was like, my gosh, like that is just the most insane amount of responsibility. And I'm like, it's, it's the same thing with holding Bitcoin. Really. It's like you either, you're either holding it securely or, you know, you have, you have so many um, different ways where you could potentially um, lose it, you know, because it is like holding cash. And uh, and I guess that's the only other thing that I'll mention is that, you know, it's a big responsibility holding your own keys because a lot of uh, a lot of these have single points of failure. And I know we can go into more detail into that when we're talking about um, wallets and hardware wallets and all that. But that's just kind of my experience. I think it's really important to learn about it, and it's important to learn about learn about the wallet that you're going to choose. You know, because there's a lot of them out there nowadays, and uh, you know, some of them have proprietary software, and some of them have open source software, and that's all something that, that uh, you, you got to think about. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And we're going to talk about wallets in the next episode because there is a lot to know. And I think wallets are one of the most important um, elements in this in this whole Bitcoin space because it's the way we interact with Bitcoin, right? It's the way individuals interact with the protocol. Um, and they've gotten way more intuitive and straightforward. And so I think just knowing what trade-offs come with each wallet, so like in terms of privacy and security and, um, you know, like all those kinds of things, custodial, non-custodial. There's so many elements to know, but hopefully we can do a good job of breaking that down in the next episode. But I think, yeah, I mean, my perspective went from being, I, I I, don't know, I started with paper wallets. Like paper wallets were the first thing I got into. So that is literally, you're holding your own keys on a little piece of paper. It's kind of intimidating. You're like, shit, if this thing burns or flies away or, or like you know, the ink melts away, it's like, I have nothing. There's no balance Like it's it's precious. Um And so I think from the very start, I've kind of like held my own keys. I got, I got, someone mentioned Trezor to me like really early on. So uh, I found that a really easy way for like to have a secured keychain to kind of hold all my keys. But I think, I think most people, or I think a lot of people whose perspective I've kind of picked their brain about went from, it's too scary to hold my own keys to learning, learning, learning. And then it went to, it's too scary to let someone else hold my keys. Yeah. Right. And so that only comes through, like you said, purposeful learning. I think that, you know, I have like a a burner hardware wallet that I just, it's like my play wallet and on a regular basis, like at least every couple of weeks I do like um, some key hygiene where I just kind of like learn how it works. I send small amounts. I make sure that I uh, like, I try and learn something different each time. Like I might learn a little bit about what a UTXO is. Um, which stands for uh, unspent transaction output, which is really all the keys are, right? They're just like, we'll talk more about that later, but um, just familiarizing yourself with it with a small amount of money, sending small amounts back and forth, knowing how to send a transaction, knowing what that transaction looks like on the hardware wallet. These are all things that playing around with small amounts makes it a lot more, a lot less scary and really allows you to essentially get reps in of practicing, right? Um, Like you don't, It's like, uh, like I, I do jujitsu now and it's like when you're rolling to train, you're doing it differently than when you're rolling to like actually try and strangle someone in competition. And so, you know, training is done purposely at a lower intensity and it's kind of like playing around with low amounts of money is like doing it at a lower intensity to build confidence so that when you actually have to transfer large amounts, which eventually if you're accumulating well, those amounts start to go up in price up in value. And it kind of gets freakier as you started to get into bigger numbers. Like I know people who started with like bought coins way early and they're like, I don't know, like I'm kind of scared now. There's a lot of money that I have now. I don't want to get robbed. I don't want to, you know, but I think the more they learn, the more comfortable they get unless the lower their anxiety gets. So I think just like learn early, start small, start early, learn, prioritize doing a little bit of practice with some hardware wallets or software wallets. Um, And, and you'd be okay, you know, as your wealth grows, your confidence grows, your understanding grows. And that's, I think the best organic way to kind of move forward. So um, let's talk about KYC versus non KYC, because I think that those three letters uh, get thrown around a lot. And I don't think people kind of understand um, typically what it means, or what Uh, implications it has kind of under the surface. So KYC stands for, and I worked between, before I went to physio school, I worked in a bank. So I got to learn all these things by just working in a bank for, for, um, for a year. Mm -hmm. KYC stands for know your client. And it's often used in conjunction with the term, uh, another three letters, which is AML, which stands for anti-money laundering. And essentially it's a set of guidelines enforced by the government that outlines information that must be collected by exchanges or banking services companies, where you can buy Bitcoin. And Essentially, it's a way to enforce full financial surveillance on everyone by claiming that it's done to combat crime and money laundering, which is like, it's such bullshit, but it is what it is. This is just what happens when you're working under a political jurisdiction that has a lot of power. So, you know, there are ways to acquire non-KYC coins, coins that you don't have to submit all your information to acquire, but it's significantly less convenient. If you don't have a good understanding of what you're doing, it's actually more risky, right? Um, So you can buy from individuals, you can buy, you can do something. uh, LocalBitcoins.com is an interesting one where you can meet with people locally and exchange Bitcoin. Um, Or then there's decentralized exchanges like BISC that exist, but are not, in my opinion, a very user-friendly experience for for the newbies. And so... And I think just one thing to remember is that if you acquired KYC coins through a typical exchange, those can be tracked by people who want to tax you. So make sure that you keep that in mind. And many wallets now will enable you to make notes. So you can note this is a KYC coin. I have to know that if I sell this, it's a taxable event that I'm prob- that I'm going to have to claim. And so I think just knowing that, like if you hodl, it's not a big deal because there is no taxable event until you sell. Um, but what are your thoughts? Like is KYC, AML, are those terms that were on your radar? Uh, what are your thoughts about those? Because I have my own opinions and I'm, I'm very strong uh, against full financial surveillance. Because I think financial surveillance is actually the, the most intrusive form of surveillance that anyone can do. Because they know if, if I can surveil you fully financially, I know where you are, what you spend your money on uh, where you, where you frequent? Like I know a a freaky amount of information about you that I I don't think is right for anyone to know, even if it's the government, uh, claiming that it's for the greater good. But what are your thoughts on KYC AML? Are those terms you think of, um, have you ever bought a non KYC coin like, or, or sats?
1: Yeah. Um, no idea what KYC was before, (laughs) before Bitcoin. And, and, uh, sometimes I still forget. (laughs) And, you know, like as far as AML, yeah, I had no idea. And, um, you know uh i think it is i think it is a good thing to you know to know as far as like non-kyc coins i've never purchased any um i uh don't feel like i have the personal confidence necessary or maybe maybe it is like the you know like you said the user interface you know it's something that's just still being built out which yeah. i agree um is the case as well but you know there are a lot of interesting um caveats that that need to be addressed uh with decentralized exchanges and things like that um i think that uh i mean i've said this before you know and it's like uh it's a really um hurt hurtful like uh i idea that you can have about yourself, you know, in terms of finance. And I, and I, and, um, it's like, Oh, well, I don't have anything to hide, you know? So I don't think about any of this. And I never have like me, my, me, myself personally. Yeah. And, uh, the only reason that I'm finding importance in this is that the Bitcoin community has brought it to my attention and I am finding uh, personal importance in this, um, because yeah it's like i I don't have anything to hide but like why do i want someone to see every single thing that i buy or you know just for bitcoin's sake like why would i want um anyone else to see the exact date and time that i purchased a bitcoin or the exact you know that that bitcoin is mine um and it's going to be a you know it is going to be attached to my name or my social or my address or whatever I entered into that exchange. Um, and that's kind of the issues with uh, KYC really like me personally. I think that the only thing that I'm you know, highly concerned about now is that there's so much data out there and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe my data is already all over the place, you know, it probably is, but that's just the issues that I see with KYC is identification, theft and censorship. Um, as far as being able to be a, um, you know, as far as being able to, to utilize my, um, my place in the network, in the Bitcoin network to its full extent.
0: So, yeah. And I think, you know, we did a tweet breakdown about, um, from Jack talking about, um, square working to build an open decentralized exchange, which gives me a lot of hope and, you know, like all it takes all it took for me was to hear one story from Jameson Lopp about this experience he had where someone essentially got his house to be swatted, which I didn't even know was like a term to say like that, but essentially someone ordered a SWAT team to his house by just saying something, whether it's true or not. And in this case, it wasn't true. And it really made me zone in on privacy and how like we expose so many vulnerabilities of our personal lives on the web. Um, Especially if you're doing content that goes out to the public and I think even just another thing is like, okay, even if you give the benefit of doubt to the government, uh, that they're not going to try and steal your shit, which like history says they always do. Um, but even if they're well-meaning and they're actually trying to avoid money laundering, which I don't buy for a second, but I'll just, I'll just leave it there uh, for a sec. Making companies collect all this information about you creates a potential um, vulnerability what if Coinbase gets hacked? And then all of the private information that was collected because it was demanded by the government is now all over the interwebs, people's private addresses, people's transactions, how much Bitcoin people bought and where they live in their names. Like that's some freaky shit. And I trust that big exchanges are taking the right measures um, to secure that information, but humans are not free of error. And so things like this have happened in the past. They will happen in the future so long as we continue doing these things. Um, or until we like encrypt that data. But I think the big thing is like, why are we having to collect that data in the first place? Like if we stop kidding ourselves to thinking that this is being done with noble intentions by the government for our purposes, like they work for us. um, Why do they have to be so on top of us and surveil us to make sure that we're giving them their money? Maybe it's because we don't trust they're putting that money to good use. Like maybe think of that. Um, So I think it's, you know, I think more non-KYC offerings will come in future. I think, uh, there will be ways to uh, obfuscate, like f- like being able to see exactly what someone bought and when. Like there are already things like coin joins and whirlpools right. through Samurai. And I think these things will only get better. I think Taproot will increase the security of the Bitcoin protocol. And the, you know every time a problem comes about, um, solutions are being created. It's just in Bitcoin the thing is, is it's very slow on purpose because we have to be very careful. This is a very important thing. We cannot just do things randomly and risk breaking it. And so I think that the whole decentralized exchange problem will be solved, especially hearing people like Jack saying that they're going to work on it in an open, transparent way. Um, I've tried BISC. It wasn't a friendly experience. Um, I've tried Paxful. Same thing. It was kind of clunky, but it's there. And it's probably, it it will only get better as this problem becomes, as, as the Bitcoin community gains awareness into the intrusiveness of KYC and AML. Um, I think there will be more and more projects coming up that allow us to do, um, peer to peer transfers of Bitcoin and fiat. So that makes me uh, more optimistic. Um, one point I had on the skeleton kind of list of topics was as your, you know, as your wealth increases, your security protocol or strategy must also increase. And so, you know, the, I kind of mentioned that before, so we don't have to dwell on it too much, but, um, you know, we're going to cover a lot of this information in the self-custody and privacy episodes coming in future in SchoolCoin because it is very, very important that everyone be literate or aim to be literate in best practices of self-custody so that you can be your own best protection. Um, and really take true responsibility at a full spectrum, even if you have a large amount of wealth, because there are really a lot of cool strategies that are out there, cool technologies like multi-sig that are fairly easy to use now. You know, these things were not easy to use initially. Now they're very easy to use. Like the, the Blockstream Jade hardware wallet I just got is like the most intuitive, beautiful little thing. Um, and it's a multi-sig with, with a mobile device or a computer. And like, that's pretty magic. Multisig just means you require two signatures to clear a transaction to go through. And if those two signatures are held in different areas, someone steals your hardware wallet, they can't steal your Bitcoin, even if they can crack the code to get into the hardware wallet. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff and I look forward to talking about that on the self custody episode. Um, Last couple points, the next one I wanna talk about is the hodl mindset and sort of building resilience. And what are your initial thoughts about hodling, what it takes to become a hodler, what it means to be a hodler, and yeah, I'd love to hear your, your perspective on that.
1: Yeah. To, yeah. Um, in order to be a good hodler, you need to have a good. Um, shield of armor against the FUD. Yeah. That's coming at you all the time. Um, could even come at you from people that you like to listen to. Um, you know, because you never know. Um, but I think that, yeah, like, uh, first and foremost, like to hodl, you've got to be a curious learner. And you have to have a good set of signal or like news where you where you're learning, you know, you're constantly learning um, to, to maintain any of the emotions that come along with, with huddling or holding Bitcoin and that and you know, the market fluctuations. Um, which, you know, which just goes uh, back on to the last point that we were talking about, you know, which could be up. And in that case, you're going to be thinking about a lot more things, um, including, you know, security, you know. But I think, yeah, to be a curious learner and have a good, like, have a good shield to, to really, like, like, digest the knowledge and, and think about um, what, you're, uh, what you're taking in for yourself.
0: That's a great way of wording it. I love the metaphor of the huddle shield where you just, you know, like the FUD bounces off, uh, the place volatility bounces off. And I think, you know, this whole notion of if you know the why, then the how doesn't really matter. And, you know, this whole notion that anytime you have any hesitation in terms of holding your Bitcoin, like whether it's like you have a, a, a temptation to sell, reinforce the why. Why did you buy Bitcoin in the first place? And if you just bought it to make some fiat, sure, go ahead and sell. You're not a hodler and that's fine. It's not gonna be for everyone. It requires a lot of resilience and it requires most of all, I think that shield, the effectiveness of your shield uh, is built through conviction. The more conviction you have, the more you understand this, the long-term perspective of this, the thicker that shield is gonna to be to the point where it eventually becomes impenetrable. Um, and I think you know, in Bitcoin, being a hodler requires like resilience um, and hodling is, really is kind of a play on words for hold. We talked about this in the second episode on terminology where someone on some sort of messaging board wrote hodl and people just turned it into hold on for dear life, uh, which is a great meme. And you know, in Bitcoin, resilience is the capacity to keep calm and stay the course throughout wild price fluctuations. And you know, I think there will be less of these fluctuations going forward, but there's still going to be some. And with with conviction, what I found with myself is that I actually begin to view price declines as opportunities instead of challenging times. Like they're not hard times anymore. They're actually like good times because basically the mental model I use is people who weakly held Bitcoin, the non-HODLers just sold out. And now it's an opportunity for the HODLers to scoop up more Bitcoins, which will be off the market, not available for sale and not part of the liquid supply. Um, And I think really the real test of resilience is not actually during price dips. It's actually during the, the bull markets, the skyrocketing prices, where it's like really tempting to sell a little bit of your Bitcoin and buy a, a Lambo or something mm-hmm. uh, if you're at that level. And I think that's where you just have to know. It's like the ultimate delay of gratification. And if you hold on, in order to hold on for dear life, you have to have deep, deep, deep-seated conviction and really anchor down strong on your why and making sure it's the right why in terms of building long-term wealth and being the early adopter and front-running all the money in the world. Um, and so, yeah, I think the HODL mindset is a very important one for the people who will build the bulk of the, uh, purchasing power holders in Bitcoin. And it seems to me, there's a lot of them, you know, like I see like the odd, um, piece of data, um, from on-chain stuff from either like Will uh, Clementi or Dylan LeClaire. And they talk about, you know, like these coins haven't moved for X amount of time. So they're long-term holders. And I think you see more and more. Of those accumulating, you see more things like Grayscale, which have locked in their Bitcoin and it's no longer, you know, they have something like 600,000 Bitcoin that is not available anymore. It will not be available. In fact, in the charter, it says we will never sell these. The only Bitcoin they sell is to essentially fund their 2% fee. So they sell a little bit of Bitcoin each um, on a certain interval to, to pay their 2% fees. But I think as more and more, and like you know, MicroStrategy's 100K Bitcoin aren't moving forever. Yeah. So I think the more I realize that a lot of people are buying and holding and taking that mindset because they actually understand it, it gives me peace knowing that like the any volatility is simply people who did not hold it with the right mindset. We're getting rid of them and we're onboarding HODLers, which is super cool. Uh, last point, and then we'll go through kind of a summary, just real quick to kind of summarize what we talked about is buying dips. Uh, is this something you do or have done? And I think there's probably like a little disclaimer um, to say. You know, I I want to give my experience in buying dips and what that even means, but um, yeah, is that something that uh, that you're that you're into? Because it does require kind of an awareness of high level price action of like what are the Mm -hmm. what are the trends, which makes you have to be more involved and more likely to be very you know scooped up by the emotions and the Mm -hmm. psychological tricks of price volatility. Uh, But is that something um, that you do? And if so, what's your experience been?
1: Yeah, Nick, it's almost like you have to be, um, you know like I don't like I don't watch sports I'm a bitcoiner you know like I'm always in the space Uh, and so when you are like always in the market or like they say um, you know time in the market is the most important thing um, yeah like then then you can start to identify um, the different trends and then and then be like okay yeah this is actually a dip that's going on and uh, and then how do I actually like um, make my purchase. And yeah, like, I definitely have bought in dips, um, wish I bought more, you know, but, um, but really like the cool, the coolest opportunity for me to buy a dip, um, with like a really great real world example was, um, when, uh, Bitcoin, uh, went, went down to, to right around 30,000 earlier mm. this year, mid this China year, like FUD. June China FUD. Right. And, um, I remember one, uh, one person on Twitter that I was following was just uh, making note of how, and I can't remember if it was low or high, but we were talking. He was talking about the mayor multiple and about how low, or basically that the mayor multiple hadn't been, you know, at this ratio for so long, and so it was probably a really good time to buy Bitcoin. And I guess I could probably um, in a future, Do you know what episode, the
0: mayor multiple is?
1: I think that it would probably be beneficial bringing that up right now. Um, I don't.
0: Okay, that's okay. I got this. So I'm just gonna say this right now because I'm very curious. Yeah. Um, the mayor multiple was created by Trace Mayer as a way to analyze the price of Bitcoin in a historical context. It does not tell whether to buy. Oh, that did, That was kind of useless. Um, anyway, I'll look up the mayor multiple. We'll we can um, say it on the next episode because I've heard yeah. that a couple times. But I've I've okay it's a way to gauge the current price of Bitcoin against its long range historical price movements, 200 day moving average. Okay. So it's comparing 200. the current price to the, to, in some way to the 200 day moving average. Um, cause I've heard that come up a bunch. I, I, I don't know why I hadn't looked that up, but, but I guess basically, like, it, it gives you a good idea of whether it's high or low from the long term. So I think it's valuable.
1: Yeah. yeah and I think as far as like my personal experience and buying dips, that's been my best experience is, is like, you, you know, utilizing that number and, um, and also, be just you know, spending time in the market and uh, and and um, you know, uh, staying staying aware of the emotions that come with it too. So,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's funny because like buying dips, uh, sometimes I will buy like twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin just to feel like I bought the dip. You know, <laughs> like, you know, you got guys like Bukele announcing that he bought four hundred twenty bitcoins <laughs> on the dip, and like I, it still seems like a surreal world to yeah. me. Um, but I think. <laughs> You know, you have to, you, you have to understand the, the zoomed out version of pricing to do it effectively. I think one mental model I use is like, if, if I bought at a certain price, and then it goes down below that price, I bought at the higher price. So obviously, I should buy at the lower price. And that's a for me, that's a dip. It might not be a, a macro dip, but that's a dip for me. So, you know, I kind of doubled down and that's always served me very well. And I think the China FUD, when I went down to around 30, was the first time I ever shorted fiat to buy Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't do it at at like a big degree of margin, but, um, like for, for the health network, TFC, that endowment, I was like, okay, we've never borrowed money from the company, um, or for the company rather. And we have this loan that's open from the bank, may as well put a little bit of that into Bitcoin. And I got in at like 35 or something, uh, and stack some sats there. So, so yeah, I think buying dips and like, I did, I never stopped my DCA, but I think buying dips is like, if you're into keeping track of. Prices And if you have a bit of a deeper understanding of the macro perspective, and really if like, if there's a sharp decline in price it doesn't mean Bitcoin got worse, it just means that more people want to sell. And so I think just taking that model where it's like, it's always a good time to exchange a shitty asset for a good one. If the price goes down, that asset just went on sale. And it's probably a good idea to buy it if you're in a position to do so. Um, but once again requires conviction buying as the price is going like this requires a shitload of conviction and uh yeah
1: yeah man i would say i really like that example that you just said that's why sorry to interrupt but i just i i just want to say like you know for anybody listening like you know the mayor multiple and different things like like different indicators like that are cool but what nick just said is like you know make like make your own definitions you know like yeah. like if 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 you're going to be putting um a little bit of money into bitcoin and then it goes a little bit uh lower that's a that's a great opportunity for you to to put a little bit more in you know and because sure. you're like you're setting your own bar and so i think that that is like a really great like a, a really good point um that uh, that everybody would benefit from if they do focus on that
0: yeah especially for hodlers and like i said it's like i I'm trying to avoid feeling a dopamine bump when I buy Bitcoin <laughs> because I don't want it to like consume me and trick me. Um, but like even buying tiny amounts, like whenever I'm like, oh God, this world is crazy right now. There's so much stupid shit going on. I just buy a little bit of Bitcoin. I'm like, I just voted for a better world. <laughs> like I vote, I seem to vote a lot these days, small little tiny votes, but like it makes me feel good because I know that I've just voted for a fair monetary system. I just... Um, solidified something good for my future self uh, and you know it can be really small amounts and it's, it's it's a beautiful way to just be able to have an outlet to to vote anytime you want um, and you know when the price is going down you're voting that no it's it, this isn't worthless um, people are just kind of getting we're shedding the people who weren't in it for the right reasons and I think when you really build a good understanding and build that conviction the dips are opportunities the price increases turn into like things that you actually get a bit nervous about. Like it shouldn't, it shouldn't go up 15% in a day. I think we still have some of those days ahead of us. Um, but it also kind of like, you know, it's still a wild thing, right? Bitcoin is still a tiny little, uh, dinghy in the ocean of giant currencies and giant pools of wealth. And it's getting bigger and bigger. It's getting stronger and stronger. It's getting more stable as time goes on, as more monetary energy funnels into it. And so, um, yeah. I, I hope that people listening found value in this. So just to summarize, start early, um, start small so that you can not be nervous with moving things around. And the earlier you start, uh, the bigger price advantage you get. And the, the, the idea that you can front run most of the money on planet earth um, that typically has, gets the opportunity, like Eddie mentioned, Cantillionaire's Uh, The Cantillon effect is essentially when people close to the money spigot get first access to it. So typically, and still right now, they're front running everyone else. All the rich people get access to the money first and it fucks everyone else over. This is an opportunity for us to get access to the best money in the world first. And anyone can take advantage without permission. And that's pretty magical. So start early, start small, create a DCAC savings plan. Uh, By researching a good source of coin and putting it on autopilot at whatever amount you feel comfortable um, doing, and that makes sense for your life, work towards holding your own keys. Make sure that you choose an exchange uh, that allows you to bring your coins into your own uh, wallet where you hold the keys. And we're going to do, like I said, an episode about wallets is the next episode, and an episode about self custody best practices. I think it's going to be episode nine. So it's coming up soon as well. Uh, build your conviction and your ability to hodl through storms, the highs and the lows. And once again, just to kind of give something concrete, I really like Moon Wallet. It's a non-custodial lightning and Bitcoin wallet. The people who created it, I believe are from Argentina. They made it by, by need. And it's, a really, it's just a really good intuitive product. So download Moon Wallet. I believe it's available on all platforms. M-U-U-N. Start playing with Bitcoin um, our self-custody episode will give you more advanced tools to build a cold storage strategy with a hardware multi-sig wallet, which sounds super probably intimidating, but it actually isn't. So we're going to simplify that, uh, Eddie, anything to mention in closing? I think that was a, I think we did a pretty good job of kind of giving, um, people at least a foundation to start stacking stats or a reason or an understanding of why they should start stacking the benefits that are available to everyone. Uh, any final words?
1: Yeah, I, would, I think that this was a really valuable episode and I definitely um, learned a little bit myself again. I think it's always good to just refresh yourself about a lot of these like core practices, you know, and, and like, and like you said, even like refreshing yourself about certain terms, like what is savings um, and things like that. But uh, the only thing that I'm going to mention is just kind of close my, my point with a tweet from uh, Bitcoin is saving. And I just think that the, uh, from at Bitcoin is saving. Um, and uh, this tweet is, um, um, you know, because it's very relevant today, um, and I think a lot of the things that we're talking about are, you know, obviously everything is, is, is interrelated with price, um, but it's so much more than that. So, like, the tweet is, the Bitcoin price can distract people from understanding the Bitcoin system's promise. Or it can attract them to it, and so yeah. To every uh, to anyone who's listening, like I hope that um, the 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 promise and the fundamental values of Bitcoin is why you're here and why you're you're listening and why you're learning. And um, you know, I hope that you got some value from today's episode,
0: dude. That was a brilliant tweet to kind of plug at the end. There, very fitting. Uh, the only relevant thing to remember for people is swanbitcoin.com/slash/bitcoinstore. That's the one where if you sign up, if you're in the states. It seems like it's a really good service. However, I can't speak from first experience because in Canada, it's trickier. Uh, but yeah, swanbitcoin.com slash Bitcoin. you get 10 bucks of free Bitcoin just for signing up. So that's kind of why I plugged that in there. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you for your attention um, for the past hour and 15 minutes. Um, we look forward to seeing you next time you drop by the Bitcoin Stoa. And just as a reminder, if you enjoy the content, you can support the project by heading to bitcoinstoa.com, sending some Sats to the QR code that's on our homepage, uh, or you can stream Sats through the Breeze app, which is a really cool application of the Lightning Network when and if you start to get into Lightning wallets. Um, anyway, wishing you all a great day and ciao for now.